Over a quarter of Australia's emissions are from the transport sector and the majority of emissions around the world in the transport sector have been growing. And in order for us to uh, prevent a climate crisis, we need to end our transport emissions, not just cut them, but stop them entirely. So electrification of the transport fleet is essential. Uh, it'll save us money in the long run. And the question is, when we do it? Across the world, countries are transitioning from diesel petrol-powered vehicles to electric. In New South Wales, there has been a push to decarbonise the transport system by providing zero-emission public transport. At the end of 2020, the New South Wales Minister for Transport and Roads, Andrew Constance, announced the state government's plan to transition the entire fleet of 8,000 buses to electric by 2030. In this episode, we discuss the impact of transitioning buses from diesel to electric and what this could mean for creating a more sustainable public transport system. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Marlene Even. Hi, my name's Katie Pennell. I'm a PhD researcher at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And my area of research is around electric mobility. Uh, so all different types of electric vehicles and how they interplay with electricity grids and electricity markets. So let's get back to the basics. How are electric buses different from your average bus? Yeah, electric buses are pretty much the same as your run-of-the-mill diesel buses. The only difference is how they get their power to move. In a diesel bus, you have an internal combustion engine, so you burn the diesel fuel to generate kinetic energy to move. All electric buses are is you replace that engine with an electric motor and you power that electric motor with a battery that in turn is powered by the electricity grid. And how do they maintain that power? Well, there are various ways to recharge the battery of electric buses. At the simplest level, you just plug it into a wall socket, but it's not going to give you the amount of power that you need to charge the buses quickly. And so we have some charging infrastructure equipment that can provide uh, more power just to charge the buses a little bit more quickly. And so instead of charging uh, to full charge that takes 10 hours, it might take one hour or even half an hour. Katie says globally there have been different trends as to where exactly the electric buses' charging infrastructure goes. A lot of bus operators are installing charging equipment at their bus depot only, um, which means all of the buses will be charged centrally at a depot. But we're also seeing some bus operators place charging infrastructure along the bus routes. And so the bus might roll up to a bus stop and be charged while it's sitting there picking up customers. Or there might be charging equipment at sort of main bus terminals 
An example of this is Adelaide's Tindo electric buses, which are charged by a solar panel system at the city's central bus station. And there are some innovative ways to recharge the buses while they are in motion. You can do that in a couple of different ways. You might electrify the road so the buses are inductively charging while it's driving, or you could put solar panels directly onto the bus roofs and have them charge instantaneously that way. So why transition diesel buses to electric ones? One of the main benefits cited by experts is reducing emissions. The biggest one that comes to my mind is their reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, in particular carbon dioxide. And even with the current New South Wales electricity grid that is powered quite um, significantly by coal, it's quite dirty, even even now, uh, electric buses reduce carbon emissions by in the order of 10 to 30%. And that is only going to increase as we get more and more renewable energy in our system. So it's already saving and it has the potential to save a lot more over time. Other benefits include the impact on our health. Diesel and petrol produce uh, noxious and, in, and irritant gases that make people sick. This is Dr. Matthew Hounsell, a researcher at the School of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the University of Technology, Sydney. And they also produce carcinogenic particulate matter. So they also produce a, a very loud sound that also makes people sick as well and increases their stress levels. So Quiet electric buses will improve people's lung health, it'll improve their sleep, uh, it'll reduce their stress, and it'll uh, cut the rates of asthma and cancer. And what about economically as well? What impact will it have to switch to electric buses? Since the 1980s, Australia has spent uh, over trillions of dollars on importing foreign oil and vehicles. And uh, Going electric means we can produce sustainable electricity to power our transport system uh, entirely in Australia. So no more billions of dollars every year going out to uh, foreign oil producers. So it's a big economic benefit to the country. The first time I sat on one of these buses, I just couldn't believe how much better it was. And um, it took me five minutes and I'm like, yes, the entire fleet, do, it, do the lot. It is quieter, it is smoother, it is just so much nicer. So once the Australian people are exposed to electric cars, uh, they'll be more inclined to buy them. And then there'll just be this tipping point where all of a sudden uh, the petrol car days are ended. And it's really just a matter of the government saying, well, we know this is coming, so let's make the uh, change now. Let's control the change. The New South Wales Parliament held an inquiry into electric buses in regional and metropolitan public transport networks in New South Wales. The 2019 inquiry found electric buses significantly lower emissions provided they are powered by renewable energy. 
To discuss this inquiry, I spoke with Robin Preston, a member for Hawkesbury and member of the Liberal Party in New South Wales. And I'm chair of the Transport and Infrastructure Committee, and one of the inquiries that we've looked into is the consideration for electric buses within the fleets for New South Wales government buses. The aim of the inquiry is um, several different aspects. Primarily, it's looking at the air quality and uh, lowering emissions, given that we have a fleet of diesel uh, fuel capacity of buses around New South Wales, both metropolitan and regional, uh, the inquiry looked into the possibility of uh, lowering emissions and uh, a better air quality in general. Also, um, looking at the impacts of that on everyone's health, the flow and effect of that. Uh, Noise pollution is also um, in consideration in this inquiry and the overall cost of running a bus fleet if they were to be considered to convert to electric buses. So we factored that in as well. If you're living in Sydney, you might have already noticed a few electric buses on the roads. Look, there are around 60 uh, zero emission buses uh, that will roll out across Greater Sydney this year. We've got 18 electric buses on the roads at the moment. They're operating permanently uh, in the inner west and southwest, as well as Hornsby and Sutherland regions. And as for the charging infrastructure for the electric buses in Sydney, what we found though in the trials and in the inner city areas there is you only need to um, charge the vehicle overnight and the, the runs around the metropolitan area require that it doesn't need to be charged in between the trips during the day. So it would come back to the depot after their, um, their run uh, and their designated times, and they would be able to charge up then. Robin says that when it comes to charging electric buses in regional areas, they'll be looking at further recommendations, such as looking at charging stations and where they could position those. So, how many people are buying electric cars? Globally, sales of electric and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles made up 4.2% of the global car market in 2020. We're seeing the sales of electric cars increasing globally. Last year, nearly 1 in 10 new cars sold in Europe were electric or a plug-in hybrid electric car. In Germany, it was around a quarter. China, 5%. So what about Australia? Of all the new cars sold in 2020, electric vehicles made up less than 1%. In policies overseas, it's not just about an uptake of electric cars, but a transition to them. Matthew says other countries have legislated to phase out the sale of cars with internal combustion engines in the future. Now, countries such as Norway, France, England, they're all, and Japan even actually, they're all going to ban uh, petrol and diesel cars quite soon. And what we're going to see is a non-linear change where there'll just be a step change in the world market because the world's uh, car manufacturers have realized that they will make more money with electric cars. It'll cost them less to build electric cars than to build diesel. So they're going all in and those that can afford it. There just won't be the fleet available um, to purchase. What we risk ending up with is all of the dodgy, uh, broken down old petrol cars coming to Australia. 
Meanwhile, in New South Wales, a new plan has been unveiled to increase the uptake of electric vehicles and address some of the obstacles preventing people from purchasing them. The New South Wales government recently unveiled a $490 million plan to make half of all new car sales electric by 2030 and the majority by 2035. The plan includes $171 million on charging infrastructure, no stamp duty for electric and hydrogen fuel cars that are priced under $78,000, and while they will be introducing a road user tax, it will be delayed till either the 1st of July 2027 or when electric cars make up 30% of new car sales. The rule of thumb for diesel buses is that they last 15 years because the uh, internal combustion engine will basically shake the bus to bits within 15 years. It's, it's unusable. So how long do electric buses last? And what happens with the batteries of these electric buses? According to PhD researcher at the University of New South Wales, Katie Purnell, the batteries will have more than one life in them. A battery might last around 10 years. And so the real question is, what do we do with that battery at the end of the bus's uh, battery life? We could potentially recycle it, but we could also potentially give it a second life. Reusing it in homes, for example, or small businesses. And we're seeing different countries around the world do different things with that, which is an exciting new area. The New South Wales government inquiry into electric buses found that the batteries can be given a second or third life and then can be recycled instead of ending up in landfill. The inquiry heard an example that some 7-Eleven convenience stores in Japan use old bus batteries to power their refrigeration systems. We're finding at the end of that 10 years, the battery's still got about 60% of the state of charge that it started with. So it's still really useful, um, but it's not cost effective, I should say, to keep that battery in a bus after 10 years, just because you want something with a bit more energy density. You want to be able to travel further on one charge. And so that's why it's exciting to take out these batteries and give them second life in a residential context or a business context. But some researchers are warning that the uptake of renewable energy technologies is not without worrying social and environmental impacts. I think the other downside to electric vehicles uh, is around the recycling of the batteries and really working out how we're going to do that in a safe way, in a safe way that's not uh, leaching toxic chemicals back into the environment and that we can reuse, um, for instance, the rare earths in them and the, the lithium and the cobalt, but that's an area of ongoing research. And also, there's a big concern around uh, the materials that go into the batteries, particularly um, cobalt and just humanitarian sort of impacts of 
mining those materials around the world, making sure that the supply chain for those is all um, ethical. So with an increasing global demand for electric cars, there will in turn be an increase in all the metals and rare earth materials used to create electric car batteries. Researchers at the University of Technology Sydney's Institute for Sustainable Futures highlighted without a careful approach, we could create new environmental damage while trying to solve an environmental problem. Their 2019 report, Responsible Minerals Sourcing for Renewable Energy, found that electric vehicles and battery industries have the most urgent need to avoid negative impacts in their supply chains. They state that recycling is the most important strategy to reduce primary demands of these metal and rare earth materials. If we were to replace all of the vehicles that have been made on the planet with electric vehicles, would we have enough uh, cobalt and other rare materials to do it? And the answer is no. How do you give the most people access to the most um, services and goods and jobs using the least amount of resources, which is the big question for sustainability. And the answer to that is, well, you think about your definition of transport and cities and humans, and you ask the question, can we do this efficiently? And the most efficient electric vehicle is the electric bicycle. And if you were to have the majority of people who are traveling very short distances because the majority of trips in, in most of the Western world are small trips. If the short trips were all done on electric bikes, you would only need very few electric cars. So once you take into account share cars, uh, moving more people with public transport, there's more than enough materials. But not everyone in the future can have a, you know, a luxury electric car to travel everywhere. He says the issue with finite resources is the same with petrol cars. And that's always, that was always the problem with the um, petrol cars because, again, there's never been enough resources for everyone. The next question we inevitably ask is, will the electricity grid be able to cope with the new demand? One of the big problems that we have currently in the electricity sector is managing peak demand. Um, and what that means is being able to supply enough electricity at peak demand periods. She says that would be problematic if you had a situation where everyone is recharging their vehicle at the same time. So the concern about electric vehicles is that people have quite similar transport patterns every day. I mean, the worst case scenario for, say, electric cars is that assuming everyone works a normal nine to five and doesn't work overtime and no one works from home, etc., that everyone will arrive home at the same time, plug in their cars, and all of a sudden 20 million people are charging each car with, you know, 11 kilowatts, um, which introduces a huge new load 
to meet and to quickly be able to turn on, uh, which is a problem around ramp rate. But Katie believes the issue would be different with electric buses. She says the good news is that buses won't be charging at the same time, given that there are always buses in the transport network moving, and that we are seeing in different places in the world that they can coordinate the charging so that it doesn't introduce a huge new peak. Uh, But we do have to be really uh, mindful of how we incentivize buses to charge, um, whether that is introducing some kind of time of use electricity tariff like we have in um, residential electricity bills, or it might be charging bus operators based on their maximum demand at any given time. Um, But because we are just starting to introduce buses, the time to think about that is now and to play around with when can we charge these vehicles? So the transport sector and the electricity sector work in concert. As we discuss electric buses and sustainable transport, travel expert Dr Matthew Hounsell says people's desire to travel has changed over time. So the old um, phrasing was that railways provided communication. And when the first theoretical approaches to transport were developed, it was about how people could communicate, how they could move things around. What later became the idea was that people desire to move around all the time and they're they're constantly wanting to to travel. People don't want to travel. People want um, to access uh, activities and to access services and goods and to live a, a good life. So if people can work from home, they're going to work from home because why would they travel an hour on a train or an hour in traffic if they can if they don't have to? So what we are seeing now is actually a, a tipping point where we're seeing the real competitor to the car is not the train or the bus, it is the internet. Matthew gives the example of online dating. So whereas people used to go out to meet people, they can now do all of that uh, initial vetting online and then go out. And then you see a similar thing for shopping where people are now starting to either review online and then go to a particular place they know has the product or they'll even just do all of their shopping online. So we're in a bit of a technological uh, change now and Sydney is structured and many other cities in the world are structured around the idea that people will drive everywhere. And what we're going to see is a reduction in people wanting to drive to reduce the, the trips they make. Matthew says there is a need to change the transport hierarchy so private cars are no longer number one. But right now that is about changing the priority hierarchy of transport in all of our cities, in most of the Western country, from the American model of car on top to another model which says walking first, then cycling, then public transport, and then you have uh, your logistics and your supply vehicles and your tradies, and down at the very, very bottom are people driving private cars. 
The Guardian journalist Greg Jericho recently crunched the numbers in a recent article stating that while the transport sector in Australia accounts for 18% of Australia's emissions in 2020 during the pandemic, the transport sector accounted for almost half of the entire drop in emissions last year. Going into the future and discussing the transition to electric buses, Katie says there's potential elsewhere. Of all emissions, transport is 18 and 2% is, uh, 2% of that is buses. Um, so buses themselves, electrifying them, they do make a big impact, um, but there's a lot of potential elsewhere in electrifying other transport modes. Electrification is one very good solution, but it, I think it should be used in consort with um, thinking about mode shift and trying to move away from private cars a little bit. Matthew also highlights a need to be more efficient in our transport system. We should not assume that the best way forward is to continue the way things are, because as soon as we do that, We don't get to ask the question, is it a more efficient way to do it an alternative way? And when we start looking at sustainability, the key criteria is to be efficient. So we need to be mindful of the need to move the most amount of people with the most efficient means. And that brings us back to public transport, to active transport, to electric bicycles, to, more importantly, having people able to live in really great neighbourhoods where they don't need to travel 45 minutes to work. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for your company.